G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you doing today? Good, thanks, Rowan. Good to be with you and on this topic. Absolutely. It's an absolutely fascinating topic that we've got today, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about it today with you. And we've called today's episode, Employing the Power of Placebo. So, Dad, it seems to me from my slightly less educated uh, position in psychology that placebo is potentially one of the psychological terms that's thrown around a little bit more in terms of people who aren't necessarily psychologically trained. So it's definitely one thing I'm looking forward to getting into with you today to discuss exactly what is the placebo because I must admit I didn't know a whole lot about it before this week. It's just a fascinating way of considering mind-body connections, how our mind and body are so closely connected with each other, and when we're aware of that, how we can draw on that understanding to help ourselves to get some massive benefits for our health and well-being. And it's interesting looking into the history of where even the term placebo came from. And look, it's a, it's a long and complicated story with uh, its roots a very long time ago, so I won't get into all of it today. But the interesting thing about it is that it started as a negatively connotated term. And it seems to me that that negative connotation has continued for some time until quite a relatively recent time period. Yes, like even back in the 50s when people talked about placebo effects, like for example a number of medical specialists would talk about placebo effects and the idea was if people were affected by placebos then they're kind of muddle-headed or not very smart and we now know that's very different from the case that it's actually a capacity or ability that we have to be able to anticipate positive benefits from a particular intervention and actually anticipating the positive benefits maybe through visualizing that or anticipating benefits in another way actually has a physical impact on our bodies that benefits us. Well it is one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating with placebo the way that a psychological cue can have a physiological effect And it's something that I'm sure we'll unpack a little bit more later on today. But it is something I'm looking forward to doing with you today, Dad. I suppose just clearing up some of the misconceptions around what placebo is. As I say, it's a term that gets thrown around a little bit by people like myself who aren't psychologically trained. But I suppose the other thing that will be good is to outline some of the benefits to placebo and even understanding the way that it all works as well. Yes, and one of the fascinating things that we'll talk about is how a placebo, such as a sugar pill, will tend to work in similar ways for, say, depression or pain or even something like Parkinson's disease as the active drugs that are used to benefit those conditions. So we'll talk about some of the specific ways that placebos can draw on the mind-body interaction and how our body functions to mimic the active treatments, even when we're given a sugar pill. Well, it's funny you mentioned sugar pills there because sugar pills are something that you hear quite often referenced with placebo. In fact, for quite a while, I must admit, I thought a placebo was only a sugar pill. But it was interesting thinking about this during the week and 
I must admit, I remember back to a time when I was much younger, and I wonder if some of our listeners out there can relate to a little bit of this as well. But for example, little kids, I think, use placebos. And, you know, I remember, you know, being a very young kid and you might fall over and maybe scrape your knee and you'd walk up to mum and go, oh, mummy, knee hurts. And and all mum would do is, you know, maybe rub it or, you know, kiss her finger and rub your knee. And it would be this completely uh, non-therapeutic treatment in terms of there was nothing that she was actually doing beyond just giving a bit of basic care. But at the same time, then you'd run off and, you know, it'd be fixed and basically you'd feel good as new. So it just seems to me that we do seem to recognize the power of placebo when we're kids but maybe after a little while we lose the emphasis on the importance of using some of that sort of stuff as a therapeutic treatment yeah i think in a way as we um, grow up and we're taught to be even more rational thinking the way we look at things we actually can lose a little bit of the magic which nonetheless works such as the idea of kissing it better a child hurts themselves like you say kiss it better but A placebo can be any kind of intervention or ritual or action. It could be even a pretend surgery. People could be unconscious and believe that they're going through some kind of mechanical back surgery, for example. And a placebo surgery could be used and the person can still report very significant benefits from that. So... There are all sorts of different ways that we can think of placebo effects, the interventions. And I think back to the, if you like, the shamans or the witch doctors, when they had the funny headdresses and the amazing expressions on their face and the music and the dancing, the more the ritual, the more involved in conveying, hey, this is a powerful kind of thing happening here, the stronger generally the placebo effects. So I think the shamans were onto something. Well, I wonder if, Dad, I'll be interested to hear a little bit more as to that sort of stuff in a moment, but I wonder if it's worth now having a bit of a a broader look, almost taking a step back, and I wonder now if you could help us with even just a definition of placebo. What actually is a placebo? It's basically some kind of inert treatment, so it could be an inert pill or some other inert activity, such as telling someone that they've had surgery when they haven't even had it, but they've been prepped up as though they have been. It's an inert intervention that nonetheless has some kind of health or well-being benefit, and it may well be a physical or mental health benefit because of our belief, because our belief it's going to be helpful. So inert intervention, we believe it will help, and then demonstrably it can and does help in terms of our physical and or our mental health. And so it seems to me then that it relates a little bit to that idea of confirmation bias. If we have a belief around something, then in many ways we're looking for confirmations of that belief. And so I wonder if that relates a little bit to the placebo. Very much so. So it's like expectancy, when we expect something to happen in a certain kind of direction. Or other people are interacting with us as though they expect a certain kind of benefit to come or a certain kind of result to occur. We're influenced a lot by our social world and other people's expectations as well. So, And then there's the notion of suggestion. If I suppose that's how advertising works, isn't it? It gives us suggestions that if we have this product, we're going to feel strong or happy or better in some way. And so there's this notion that suggestion, expectations, if you like, other people's guidance in some kind of way or other people's suggestions 
all of these things can influence how we respond. But the thing about that that I suppose has maybe confused me a little bit about placebos, maybe this is a a slight throwback to a time when placebos were perceived slightly differently. But to me, it seems like thinking about placebos just in terms of suggestion, in terms of maybe someone's implanted an idea in your head, to me, maybe that de-emphasizes some of the actual reactions that people have at a physiological level. Because it's not as if, for example, we're you know, suggesting something ambiguous, almost like a, a horoscope, for example. It's not, it doesn't seem to me as if it's like a horoscope in a newspaper that we then completely read into. The way that our physiology changes seems to me that in many ways our reality on some level can change based on a psychological cue. Yes. Now, if I can give an example of how placebos were discovered to have physiological effects on the brain... That, that might help illustrate what you're getting at. They're quite specific effects that placebos can have. So earlier on, for example, when they explored placebo with Parkinson's disease, I know something that helps people with Parkinson's is dopamine. And so they found that when people were given a placebo for Parkinson's, they produced more dopamine. Now, that's a pretty amazing kind of thing for that to actually happen. And they thought, wait a minute, now we've discovered the basis of placebos. It's by producing more dopamine, a neurotransmitter. And then they thought, okay, now let's do studies on pain. And they found there's a different response. When you're given a placebo for pain, it's not that you produce more dopamine. We produce endogenous opiates, another form of neurotransmitter. But not only do we produce more opiates in response to, say, a sugar pill, but more blood flows to the brain to the parts of the brain rich in opiate receptors. So you produce more of the substance that can alleviate pain and you send it to where it's required without us understanding exactly how our brains work like that. How does our brain know how to do that? And then there's another one with depression. If people are given a placebo for depression, they produce more serotonin. Now, many people will know that one of the main types of antidepressants are called SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Fancy kind of name, but that word selective gives us a clue. These are drugs that target certain kind of mechanisms that mean that you end up having more serotonin available to brain receptors. Now the thing is, how does a placebo know how to do that? We don't all have training or who who amongst us is going to really understand exactly how our brains work and yet our brains know to produce dopamine for Parkinson's, opiates for pain, serotonin for depression. These are highly specialised, if you like, specific, targeted kind of interventions. Now the thing is, these placebo effects physiologically work in the same way is the actual substance, the actual active drug. So there's something, I think, quite miraculous that's going on in terms of our mind and body. There's some kind of mind-body inner understanding of how to make things work better. There's something very holistic about that. And so maybe if we can appreciate some of the, or we could even call it the magic of that response, but some of the predictability of that response then we can enhance it even further. If we go with it, if we work with that, 
will tend to enhance its effects as opposed to thinking, oh, no, um, placebos won't work. It's got to be just some mechanical kind of thing that changes my brain for me. I need this external kind of fix to make a difference. No, there's a whole lot about how our mind and body works where there are these, if you like, inner healing forces that help things turn out the way that we can most benefit from. So does that mean then that essentially you could substitute a placebo in for another drug in terms of, if that's the case, then why do we still have drugs? Okay, now this is a slightly more complicated situation than it can seem. Uh, But in the first instance, it's fair enough to acknowledge that placebos won't necessarily have the same full effect as drugs. They can be pretty good, for example, with antidepressant medication, that they tend to get on average about 75 to 80% of the benefit of the active medication. That's a fair bit. And in many of the studies that compared antidepressants to placebo, they came out equivalent in many of the studies. So it gets close, but not quite so much for severe depression. With severe depression, there is a clear advantage, at least with very large numbers of people, if you look at the active treatment, so to speak. But another example could be surgeries. Apparently there are some surgeries. I think it might include some forms of back surgery where there seems to be evidence that people have fared as well with placebo surgery as actual surgery but without the side effects potentially or complications. So some people have speculated with certain forms of surgery whether they might be better off with placebo surgery. But I'll use a different and maybe better known anecdotal kind of example. It's known at times that in war zones, when people have run out of opiate medication, that they've faked giving people particular kind of powerful pain-relieving medication. That was even one of the episodes from MASH, that TV show about the Korean War, where they ran out of pain-relieving medication and gave people placebos and the benefit that they got from that. That's actually a true story, that that's happened in a number of situations with real benefit. But in those situations, if you had the active treatment, you would tend to use it. You might tend to get that more reliable kind of effect. But in a wide range of areas, particularly things like pain, depression, anxiety, irritable bowel syndrome, arthritis is another one, ulcers is another one. There are many different kinds of illnesses where people can get very similar effects or very strong effects at least from placebo interventions. And just knowing that it does tend to work even better for psychiatric conditions or mental health problems than even many other physical problems, that means that the areas that we typically talk about on this podcast relating to mental health and well-being, placebo effects can be especially strong. Well, there was a couple of things that stood out to me about what you said there. And, and the first one, I wonder if placebos work better when they're mimicking something that is existing already. For example, if you are to say, you know, this sugar pill, sort of without necessarily telling the person that, but this uh, medication for you is, you know, drug B59C. And whether that's a sugar pill or drug B59C, it seems to me that the placebo in that situation is going to have more of an effect than if you were just to walk up to someone and say, for example, this little pill is going to cure your, you know, whatever affliction that you're dealing with at the time. Yes, I think the more specifically that we suggest something will have an impact, then it's almost like hypnotic suggestions. The more targeted or precise they are, the more they're likely to have an impact. 
And the other thing is we know that placebos tend to have their impact through the same physiological mechanisms as the active treatment. So placebos are going to work best when our body actually can function in some kind of particular way. So we're actually exploiting the physiology that exists. We're exploiting the actual mind-body interactions that truly exist. So this is actually a thing that we're drawing on. It's a process. It's a real process that we're activating. It's not just some kind of imaginary, fake, non-event, as placebos used to be associated with. And you touched on it briefly just before, but I think it's a really important point about placebos, and that's about the idea of side effects. And particularly with stuff like you mentioned it with back surgery before, and and I know with, for example, anti-anxiolytic medication, as you say, the efficacy of some of those placebos can be comparable to the anti-anxiolytic drug within itself. But at the same time, it doesn't actually have some of the side effects that the anti-anxiolytic drug might have. Yes, and as one example, if we can use some kind of interventions, including placebos, that can draw on, if you like, the endogenous opiates, then we can't get addicted to them like we can get addicted to, if you like, drug treatment opiates like cocaine, for example. So yes, there is a benefit at times with placebo of not having some of the extra side effects or complications. And so in that case, I wonder how placebos are used in practice then. Is it the sort of thing where in some situations a placebo is more likely to be administered to someone for whatever reason and then in other situations it's likely to be the, I suppose, original drug for lack of a better term or are there ever times when they're both administered together, for example? When it boils down to it, I must admit, I tend to think of it like this, especially in terms of mental health issues if we take something like depression. Sometimes... If there's evidence that a placebo effect can work very well, like, for example, a placebo for mild or moderate depression, then I think that maybe can at first at least start therapy or go about an intervention without using the active medication that can have side effects and also the person can maybe over-rely on it but draw on whatever other strategies that we're aware of that can help depression. There are many in the cognitive behavioural field, for example, of psychology that can help. But know that the important thing is anticipating and contemplating improvement, having hope. The therapist has hope for the person, engendering hope for the person, anticipating that their efforts will lead to some positive change. Often that is enough to help people that way. But sometimes it might be worth using a combination of a particular treatment as well as, if you like, placebo or expectancy effect. In other words, if someone is going to, for example, have antidepressant medication, then look at using that in an optimistic way. Look at taking it with positive anticipation. See yourself or visualise yourself as gaining improvement from that. Allow yourself to have some kind of hope or positive outlook on the benefits that you might get from that. But also in any other ways, when you engage in exercise, when you use other interventions as well, contemplate the positive benefits that may come from that. So then you've got, if you like, any active treatment as well as the expectation and the suggestion going with it. I think it's about positive energy versus negative energy. I think it's about hope as opposed to despair. 
It's about visualising and anticipating positive benefits rather than, if you like, negative outcomes and then doing what you can to help that come about. I think the idea of all of this is looking to align our positive anticipation, our hope with any particular interventions that we use. And in many areas of healthcare, I think it's worth using the active treatment as well as the positive attitude that goes with it. And part of that positive attitude is also the health professional's attitude themselves. We know it can be really helpful if someone is caring, is warm, is empathic. And I think that part of what placebo effects show is that if people interacting with a client or a patient around physical mental health, if they're empathic, if they're encouraging, if they're instilling hope in some ways, any kind of treatment is likely to work better. Certainly for things like anxiety, depression, pain, sleep problems and so on. Well, it seems to me that that's certainly going to add a lot to care, to the way that we administer care. But one thing that interests me out of all that you've said there, and as we said at the start, some of placebo is related a little bit to confirmation bias. And I imagine what you spoke about there is related again to that idea of confirmation bias. But I wonder then, does that also work in the negative context? In terms of confirmation bias, doesn't necessarily just have to be a positive thing. Can we almost have negative placebo, which is almost the opposite of everything that you've described there? Is that likely to make the therapy not work as well? Yes, and what we're getting onto now is nocebo effects. So where people have a belief that they're going to experience harm or a negative outcome. And let's think of a classic example of that, like just say in Australia, traditionally the notion of Aboriginal people pointing a bone at an enemy, for example, that reportedly at times has led to people dying because they thought that they were going to get sick and die. So the same theme as voodoo curses, if you like. So there's that notion about being able to induce harm as well if the person believes that. But we know of another very contemporary example of that. For example... In Afghanistan, there was this time where over 100 girls and their teachers at a particular school went to hospital thinking they'd been poisoned. They wondered whether it might have been poison gas or poison in the water supply. But what happened is a number of girls started getting dizzy and fainting and went to hospital. And then more and more, others who were also afraid of getting sick developed these same kind of symptoms, including a brief loss of consciousness. Now, this turned out to be straight out a nocebo effect. There was no poison in the water supply or poison gas or anything like that, and typically people did regain consciousness within a fairly short period and became well again. Like within 24 hours, they were fine. And they realised it was just this belief that they'd been poisoned that had caused that. But over 100 people getting sick and many people being hospitalised just because of the belief. So... Anything that leads us to think we're going to get sick or go worse or not recover or things will turn out badly for us, we need to watch out for our thoughts in some ways along those kind of lines because it can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. As you say, the confirmation bias looking for the worst. And that reminds me of a, a very interesting study that I heard one time where they talked about the idea of hexing people. And in this study, I think it was, it was basically people would walk up to someone and the first person would say to them, oh, you look terrible. Are you feeling okay today? And they'd go, oh, yeah, no, I feel fine, you know, nothing's wrong. And then maybe a couple of minutes later, someone else would walk up to them and go, 
oh, you look terrible. Are you feeling okay today? And they'd go, oh, I have been feeling a little bit under the weather. And yeah, you're right. I, you know, I haven't necessarily been feeling 100%. And then more people would ask them and eventually they'd go, oh, you look terrible. Are you feeling okay today? And the person would go, oh, no, I've, I've been feeling crook all morning. And so it was almost as if people could implant the idea of someone being sick into their own head. And the one thing that stands out to me about this and, and about whether it be nocebo or, or even placebo to the same degree is the idea of auto-suggestion or the idea of auto-dictation in terms of the, the narratives, the messages that we tell themselves. Well, it seems to me that this nocebo idea and even the placebo idea is really backing this up. In terms of if we tell ourselves certain things at certain times, well, then that is likely to become that self-fulfilling prophecy. And regardless of whether it was going to happen in the first place, due to the intervention of the placebo or the nocebo, allows it to happen after that. Yes, and again, there can be some really spooky effects that can come up that way. Another example of the nocebo effect that shows how it can have a physiological basis. This is something that was found in hypnosis. If people under hypnosis believed that a coin that was placed on the back of their hand was burning hot, they could develop lesions on their skin. So this is objectively a cold coin, like a 20-cent piece, put on the back of someone's hand. They imagine it's burning hot, lesions on their skin, actual burns. Now, how does that happen? That's amazing, but it just shows that mind and body and how our brain functions and interacts with our body, it can be literal. And this is part of the whole basis of cognitive behavioural therapy, a key psychological therapy where our thoughts about things, it's our perception of the world that counts. It's not how things are, it's how we think about our circumstances. It's how we think about our situation. And if we think about our circumstances in a pessimistic way, like things are going to go badly, then that's putting the moz on us. It's more likely to happen. Whereas if we think optimistically, while still taking action to help that come about, it doesn't mean just sitting back and crossing your fingers and just hoping everything will be good. It's best to follow through with some kind of action but then contemplate when we're acting in a certain kind of direction, maybe visualising or anticipating or sensing the benefit that may come from that, that will enhance the likelihood that our efforts will pay off. Well, it seems to me one of the things that's really stood out to me about talking about this today is that although there may have been that perception a little while ago that you know it's only gullible people who... who you know, quote unquote, fall for the placebo. But it seems to me that there's an element to which we're, you know, we're all suggestible on some level. And, you know, they, as you said before, they use this in marketing, they use this in advertising. And so if there's anything that stands out to me, I actually think we have a bit of an obligation to look into what some of the benefits of this are. Because, you know, the horse is bolted in terms of whether this knowledge is going to be used, you know, on all of us sort of thing. So we may as well try and use it for the positive way in which it can be used rather than just the negative way. Exactly. So partly what we're talking about, we might talk about in other circumstances as visualisation. Like if you see someone on a high diving board in an Olympic diving competition... They're first of all rehearsing in their mind, visualising a perfect dive. They're not visualising a belly flop or if you see a golfer or a basketballer about to shoot for a hoop 
We know that if you anticipate a certain kind of action and a certain kind of outcome in sport as well, it can help. So that gets back to the theme that we've called this, employing the power of placebo. It's incumbent on us to recognise that there are these mind-body interactions. It's an ability, an ability of our mind to suggest to ourselves that something can work well, to visualise, to anticipate, yes, and take action take action working toward a certain goal. And if you like, the more we invest in that action, at times even the more dramatic it is or the more newsworthy it is or the more meaningful it is to us, if we take meaningful action and active steps, even more dramatic steps at times, that will even enhance the placebo effect. So part of it is also when we're looking to do something positive, if you like, We don't have to be half-hearted about it. Just by being focused, anticipating the benefit, putting in that effort, these things work. It's not just the techniques that we use, it's the mindset that we have while we use them. And also in a therapy relationship or a doctor-patient relationship, that positive regard, the positive energy, the good connection between people, the teamwork, all of these things make a difference in addition to the particular treatments. Well, as I said at the start, I do think it is one of the psychological terms that gets thrown around a little bit, potentially in a dismissive manner at times. People will often say, you know, oh, it's just a placebo is, for example, something that you hear quite often. But, you know, even with the nocebo and obviously the positive side of things with the placebo, it seems to me that this power that we have, it has the ability to cure people of something and it also has the ability to kill people in the sense of, you know, like this is a pretty extreme thing either way and although people dismiss it a little bit, if something can either cure or kill To me, it suggests that we should probably take it a little bit more seriously than than maybe just dismissing it as as nothing. Yes, and so I think so often with mind-body interactions, the mind element is de-emphasised. And we've talked about this before in research that they've done in America through the National Institute of Mental Health. There's only 0.2% of their funding on research that looks at mind-body therapies. So much goes into drug treatments and all the rest of it so much de-emphasises the mind aspect when we look at research. I might still add, though, to put it in perspective, we're not saying that people should just use placebo or anticipate positive outcomes if they're suffering from cancer or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or certain kinds of conditions where it's well demonstrated that drug treatments can make a very significant impact or surgery for, for example, heart disease or something like that. We're not trying to say mind-body-wise that our mind can control or conquer everything, but what we're saying is particularly for our mental health and well-being, and especially when we're talking about things like anxiety, depression, pain, addictions, sleep, for these kinds of common mental health challenges that people have or difficulties that people have draw on that positive anticipation where you can and sometimes people might find it very hard to have hope for themselves people can be despairing after trauma people can be despairing after loss and what can make a huge difference then is if other people around them help carry the hope for them Sometimes as a therapist, what you're doing is helping carry the hope for someone who's despairing and remembering as a therapist all these people that you've seen who've recovered from severe depression, 
grief, trauma reactions and all the rest of it. But sometimes also that family support, that social support, that friendship and also the positive relationship between health professionals and clients or patients. The positive energy makes a difference and it makes a difference at a physiological level as well. That's what we're emphasising here. And we've spoken about it a little bit on the podcast before, Dad, but it seems to me that that purely rational idea of maybe the medical model where we simply prescribe something external and and think that's going to do it all, uh, maybe that doesn't necessarily give us as much benefit as looking at a more comprehensive treatment, which involves some of this sort of stuff. Yes, I think that's the core thing. And I suppose that might be something to highlight here. I think there's been a great deal of harm caused by the standard medical model explanation of things like depression. For example, especially in the past, if someone was moderately to severely depressed, they were typically told, look, you've got some kind of genetic cause of your depression. It's a biochemical imbalance is the nature of your depression, what causes it, and you're going to need medication probably for the rest of your life. This is what people used to be told, probably for the rest of your life. Now, maybe not so much, but basically it's saying you've got a permanent pervasive cause, meaning a genetically based biochemical imbalance that needs an external fix. Now, by definition, that is a pessimistic explanation. And I think there's a nocebo effect built in right into the most prevalent explanation for depression over many decades as opposed to saying, look, you might be even severely depressed, but most people recover fully. That it's not just what genes that you have, but whether they're expressed, whether they're switched on or switched off. You can influence this in all sorts of ways, including exercise, social support, ways of thinking, other kind of therapy techniques as well. And also people will tend to adjust to losses and trauma, and generally people do get back to being their usual selves. There's reason for hope, and this is some ways that we can enhance that. That would be more of an optimistic model. And I think it's partly that people have been let down by or disaffected by that pessimistic medical explanation that these days more people access alternative practitioners than conventional mental health practitioners, meaning psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, people who work in mainstream kind of settings. These days, if people want help for their well-being around mood and all the rest of it, people are more likely to access people for massage, yoga, acupuncture, a whole range of different kind of interventions. And I think partly because those alternative practices are almost always based on, if you like, something more hopeful that draws on the placebo effect in a positive kind of way. So I think that's where there's a problem also that the vast majority of mental health research is funded by drug companies who have a lot to gain by people having that pessimistic model where the answer is some external fix, medication. But the more and more many people aren't buying that, Although as a proviso, I might add, I think it's about one in 10 Australians who are on antidepressant medication. That's way too many. And I think that shows how much the nocebo model has been sold. So that's one thing that with this podcast, when we're looking at encouraging hope, we're encouraging people taking action in a range of ways and being hopeful about 
how that might go and also supporting others and drawing on positive energy in supporting others to make changes or to enhance their well-being. They're things that we can do. And watching out for our thinking, tending to go with hope, positive energy, optimism, still within reason, still within balance and making the efforts to back it up. That will make the biggest difference to our mind-body functioning. Oh, well, that's a great summary of everything that we've spoken about today, Dad. And if there's any final observation from me, it's that, you know, drug companies also use the placebo effect. It's not as if they're exempt from using some of this sort of stuff. And uh, even if you look into the way that they, the colour in which they make their medication and the size in which they make their pills at times. And, you know, I think even Valium, for example, doesn't work as well, I believe, unless you know that you're taking Valium at that time. So it's not as if that it's one or the other, whether you have either pharmaceuticals or placebo uh, as a treatment, it seems to me that even the pharmaceutical companies employ some of the psychology behind the placebo in their treatment. Exactly. And overall, what we're really saying is stack the odds in your favour. If there's a particular treatment or intervention that you're using, whether it be medication or a particular psychological technique or physical exercise or having a conversation with a friend or something like that, consider the benefits that you can get from that or might get from that. You might visualise how it benefits you in some way. You might anticipate how it can help in some way. Anticipate things improving in a certain direction. If you're working toward a goal, allow yourself the sense that that goal might well come about. In other words, Use mind and body together. We're not saying don't use particular kinds of medical or physical or active interventions. Sure, you draw on whatever is the best available information that you have at the time and what might suit you, what you believe is worth choosing, but then go with it, having a sense of positivity, if you like, and meaning. There's a meaning for following through a particular intervention. There's something that you want to come from that. And when you contemplate the benefits that you're after, you're more likely to get them. Oh, well, thanks so much for chatting with me today about all this, Dad. It's an absolutely fascinating subject, just the way that it all works. And for the next podcast, we'll get into some more of the story side of this sort of stuff, because I know we've had a bit of a chat over the time about how this sort of stuff actually plays out in a real sense. And I remember having my mind blown a, a good couple of times, like that uh, story before with the coin and the way that it's actually able to produce a burn on the skin from a cold coin. I just find that absolutely incredible how that works. So very much looking forward to now having laid down a little bit more of the theory behind all this, getting into some of the story aspects of placebo in the next episode. I look forward to that too, Rowan, especially with the theme that we're on about here is how our mind and body work together is truly wondrous. And we'll put all the resources for today's episode up at www.psychspiels.com.au. So new website, Dad, so that'll make it a bit easier for everyone to access the episode pages from there too. So thanks so much again, Dad. I'll see you again next week. See you next week.